Hi, I'm Emma Cousin, an artist in South East London, and I started this podcast to keep us artists in touch under lockdown, and now as we come out of it. I wanted to talk to other artists about the impact on the artistic community and explore what's changed, what's lost, and what's been discovered. In this episode, Holly Graham and I talk about getting back on a bike, this risky changing time, maintaining a sense of urgency, productive fear and cautious anxiety, and working to a deadline and floundering. We talk about work that has been delayed or paused, such as Holly's public commission in Coolston, a sundial, which Holly is reconnecting with in her mind and worrying if all the calculations will still work. We talk about her residency in Southwark Park and the possibilities of corresponding events shifting under distancing measures. We talk about Holly's writing and she reads a passage from her piece for an anthology on care commissioned by Sharon Keeveland and Rebecca Jago. We talk about sugar, migration and movement of objects, touching on Holly's Sweet and Swollen series and Christina Sharp's metaphors of the wake and the hold. We talk about the sugar bowls at the V&A that became the focus of, of Sweet and Swollen, which depict enslaved labour and the product of that labour at the same time. We talk about using photographs found and personal, Holly talks about attending to images and the potential reanimation of the in-betweens. We talk about the word shuddering. We talk about the side hustle and her podcast of this name commissioned by Taco. And we talk about her band, Don't Freak Out. We talk about housemates, weekly aims and formalising time for care. And we end on surprise at the toll that separation has taken and the need for people and touch. Thank you for joining us for Chats with Artists Under Lockdown. Hello, Holly Graham. Hello. (laughs) How are you? How how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm feeling a little bit tired today. I did a very short cycle yesterday and I think it's taken it out of me somehow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice yeah. though. Is that a new thing? It is quite new. Um, so I haven't really cycled since uni, um, which is now a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess it's a response to lockdown really um, and needing, or yeah, sort of needing to be able to get around um, without being close to lots of people. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, so it's but also I've I've really wanted to sort of get back on back on a bike for quite a long time, and it's offered a nice opportunity to in a way in that mm. the roads are, have been sort of a little bit quieter and sort of yeah makes sense to <laughs> to give yeah, it a go. Yeah, definitely. I know. I do wonder how many people have, are going to be doing that. Yeah. Um, as we move in yeah get some lights though I've seen a lot of people without lights yes. I get very nervous I'm like that is, put lights on your bikes that's <laughs> on my to-do list my helmet <laughs> but I've not really been going out in the evenings so <laughs> not yet but it's yeah, not... light at the moment so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is yeah needs to be done safety first um yeah. <laughs> oh amazing and how how are you feeling in terms of that like I think you just said coming out of lockdown so that idea of coming out of this time how are you feeling about that or what are you thinking about yeah it's I I think it's a bit of a strange time I mean Mm. it has been a strange time and it continues to be in that in a way little has you know little has changed in terms of the sort of wider um pandemic in that you know we might be over the peak but it's still feels like quite a risky time yeah um but at the same time it's I guess with changing like government policy and also just (coughs) it like personally um individually trying to trying to maintain a sense of urgency can be quite hard to like um uh and so there's yeah there's a weird sort of doubleness to it but yeah on the one hand obviously it's 
really lovely being able to like see people again out like outside of your household um but yeah it's also yeah it's also quite weird just knowing that it's not it's not over so yeah yeah exactly exactly and and it's like a transition period that also could be last a long time so I think it's interesting that mention of urgency yeah yeah Um, have you found that kind of uh, how I mean I I don't want to say useful because it's probably a horrible way to Mm. describe what's happening but the sense of urgency has that been like a a position for you has that been like um somewhere to feel like um has it been useful I suppose like what is what is that position and that statement I guess like anxiety and sort of fear yeah um were like you know it was really heightened towards the beginning of lockdown um and in the sort of immediate lead up to it um which was was horrible (laughs) and obviously it's a response to um to you know a very real thing to be fearful of um and so and it was a driver of action I think um in a lot of ways and even in sort of I guess like the general public really call it calling out for us to be Mm. locked down Mm -hmm. (laughs) um in absence of like the government doing it yeah um but yeah I don't know yeah there is this weird balance isn't there between productive uh fear in Mm. a way Mm. um or cautiousness and then anxiety which is sort of not particularly fruitful yeah um but yeah I guess that is I think that's that is a really a really interesting thing to think about in terms of like time and a sort of something that's sustainable and manageable mm-hmm. um Definitely. and is that something that comes like do you make from that sense of urgency and when thinking about your practice is that mm-hmm. something that comes into the the energy that you're kind of thinking about I mean productive fear is a bit strange but actually that feels mm. to me really relevant in terms of where I come from um mm. what I respond to and why, when I feel that urgency to make mm. so I'm just interested in that um is that where you you're working from generally do you think or is or is that a new sense mm, that's interesting I don't I I definitely am someone on a very like practical level <laughs> yeah. um who works well to a deadline in that with the absence of like a, a particular focus or project, I find it quite difficult to, um, yeah, to hone in on anything. Yeah. And the work can be quite like floundering or not really, yeah, I don't really know what direction to push things in. So I really do appreciate a deadline, but I'm also <laughs> the sort of person who will work right up to the deadline and find it incredibly stressful and, mm. um, so yeah yeah, I guess I must have some sort of weird relationship with uh (laughs) uh, yeah with productive fear (laughs) in that sense um as a driver somehow Mm. which is yeah I don't quite know how I feel about it but I like those two positions though is in terms of like physical I'm thinking about physical like posture like floundering like wide open like all the limbs and then the, the driver that like uh, productive mm. year forward like head mm. in the wind I think that's mm-hmm. like that um, but in terms of that how have you found because what were you working on what might have been cancelled and what now I guess I'm really interested to think about also what now is happening coming out in terms of um, what's being reopened or what can you now do that, that is being readdressed um, I just wonder mm. what the work is and how the making is being affected by these senses of um, you know the, the the heightened anxiety fear productive fear all these mm. things mentioned and the floundering and not knowing and not having deadlines yeah um yeah I think a couple of projects sort of have been a bit delayed or paused um so one of those was a sort of public commission I've been working on for a new housing development in Coulston which is in Croydon um and that should have sort of uh been installed in April sort of time so that's been that's just been pushed back and everything's really slowed just in terms of like I guess really basic stuff like communication between various parties (laughs) um which is really understandable given the circumstances um but it's a really funny thing now as things do start to 
I guess open up again and start to you know accelerate again coming back to that project because it feels like such such a gap in my thinking now that I'm having to like go back and re reopen up or revisit a lot of like questions and comb through loads of stuff that I've already done but I can't actually remember what the answers (laughs) were to those things um so it feels quite feels quite weird Mm. um and I guess also I was talking to another friend about this this sort of sense of you know lots of the sort of uh concerns that you might have when you're making um so for this piece, for me, it's quite new working in this way because I'm working with fabricators. So mm. I'm not actually physically making the work at all. I'm just sort of designing it. Mm. Um, and I had lots of stresses about it's a sundial, whether whether the sundial will really tell the time, whether it will work. <laughs> <laughs> After all of these calculations. Yeah. <laughs> um, Love it. And, you know, how it's going to go up. And then but having that sort of like break and that time means that lots of those kind of anxieties have sort of dissipated and in a way I'm sort of trying to claw them back as as almost like we talked about as a sort of driver for yeah focusing and honing um but yeah so so that's one that slowed um had yeah a, a couple of projects that have sort of changed in form a bit so um I was doing residency last year with Southwark Park Galleries and um, the idea was that it was a month-long residency and that it would culminate in some form of public output or um, public-facing event maybe or sharing mm-hmm. so it didn't have to be like a physical physical outcome but um, yeah we'd been speaking about an event um, and they'd been because it's part of a series of residencies they'd been talking about um having all of the events later this year in uh around October sort of time um and obviously the sort of possibilities for events have now really changed and Mm. so um it's yeah it's looking like that will not be the case anymore um we've been talking about the possibility of me putting together maybe a piece of writing or something that sort of draws together some of the conversations or research as well um, collected during the residency. So, yeah, a couple of bits like that that have just shifted in form. Mm. And do you find yeah. in terms of pace that you, thinking about this, I guess, the drivers, that when you're when things slow down or when there's more space, do, is the writing, does, is that the space where that writing happens? Because you, the, the writing that I've read is, is really beautiful and it's interesting that to me it feels like collage of... A lot of research that comes mm. together is that an accurate description and how, and how when does the writing happen what's that process like and where is that coming from <laughs> yeah that's interesting I think it's it's a mix so often I write alongside um alongside sort of developing bodies of work so I did do some writing during that residency mm. um and yeah I feel like I've been thinking over the last year because often it might maybe some of the writing is like sat alongside but I've been thinking about how writing can be kind of centered in the work Mm. um so yeah I think it when it happens is sort of dependent like it does often happen while developing a body of work Mm. but I had a really nice opportunity uh, towards the end of last year, beginning of this year, uh, to contribute to um, an anthology called On Care, um, which is being put together by Rebecca Jago and Sharon Kivland. Um, and yeah, I haven't written in a sort of more extensive, sort of, I guess, more like essay form way mm-hmm. in a really long time. And it was great to be able to sort of carve out the space to do that and to really think reflectively. I mean, that's just what I chose to <coughs> yeah. as an approach for it, but to think reflectively over some of the sort of themes running in and out of my practice. Um, in, yeah, 
in a way that's quite different to maybe some of the the other texts that are more collage like mm. if that makes any sense yeah it does it definitely does um and was that invitation I mean I'm interested in, in the, the fact it's called on care was that the invitation was that the driver or is that yes. idea of care constantly within is that like a constant concern is that within that was the that's the title of the the anthology and that was the sort of frame the framework or the lens I guess that they were um looking for responses on care mm. um but it felt it felt quite relevant to some of the ways that I'd been working and sort of thinking about material that I, <laughs> with. I guess we talked about collage mm. and um yeah I see collage as really central to my practice I think that's like the main my main medium in yeah, its own way yeah. um and when you're handling or like dealing with like matter that isn't necessarily yours or wasn't yours to begin with um then I think there is a real responsibility there in how you sort of um yeah in how you handle it mm. so so yeah I think that was an a great opportunity to sort of explore some of that yeah I'm interested because in the more I kind of dug into your practice and I got I got quite far back with some really lovely interviews early interviews from like when you just graduated and things like that um and this idea like I think you described collage as another like edit the editing process as a form of collage and a way of cutting mm -hmm. into and deconstructing recorded shrapnel and there's a even that is like a beautiful description but um I just wondered about collage as a methodology even and as a way of does it feel that fundamental and why collage like what is it about that as a like um I mean I keep coming back to methodology mm. but as a structure as a framework as a way of working as a way of finding your way through mm. um, I think <coughs> I have I have a real interest in sort of storytelling <laughs> and in memory mm. <clears throat> and um yeah and I'm sort of interested in how different sort of fragments of individual memories collective memory comes to get well comes together to form like a, a collective or cohesive uh telling of something or retelling of something and so um yeah I'm sort of interested in how these like different elements kind of come together and shift and morph and how no memory really no collective memory or individual memory is fixed um and I quite yeah I think it's really important to think about this in relation to how we consider <laughs> the idea of history um yeah. or histories really and how we should be constantly I guess revisiting revisiting history and think rethinking it and asking questions of like who's whose voice is being heard within within those sort of stories that are being told um and can we like amplify the voices that aren't being heard so much so I think the idea of collage is a sort of yeah it's a method for bringing together multiple uh diverse voices um yeah yeah I mean I, th I think it's it's interesting to think about those voices so I, I just wondered where you're collaging from and I, I kind of know I know mm -hmm. the answer but I'm interested to know from you how how broad that is because it feels well yeah I'll just leave the question there <laughs> yeah um so yeah it is it's it does tend to vary and from project to project it really varies as well mm -hmm. um I guess with I guess in terms of like text um with yeah within sort of the body of work that I've been working on for a couple of years now Sweet Swollen which sort of thinks about histories and legacies of sugar um my starting point my sort of yeah uh text starting point for that was actually interviews with V&A African Heritage Tour Guides um and so I used to do tours at the V&A on a sort of voluntary <laughs> basis um and they were within the Europe galleries that they'd sort of recently renovated. Um, and the idea was, it was, you know, they'd had some public money, uh, 
sort of national lottery heritage uh, funding to redevelop the galleries um, and part of that funding included um, some money to introduce some tours with a focus on an African presence within Europe um, of one kind or another. So, um, I mean, there's lots to say there even about, you know, questions surrounding <laughs> why, I guess it's it's a very small step within an institution, the V&A, that, mm. uh, you know, is maybe really not serving um, African heritage particularly well at all mm. um, in terms of, you know, what's on show and what's accessible and available and even like the provenance of these things. But I guess that's part of the complexities of like why why some of these things haven't maybe been more fully addressed. Mm. But um, yeah, this was like some, a sort of gesture towards um, redressing a balance to a degree. Um, and so I trained up with um, some other tour guides and um, yeah, we were, we were just speaking about different objects all of all of these objects have been made in Europe between like 1600 and 1815 I think um but thinking about where we could see uh stories of migration and movement <laughs> mm. um particularly uh with reference to the African diaspora within some of these objects um and so yeah it was a really I guess within the work that I then started developing um, later, um, I felt like it was really important to maybe return to some of the conversations that I'd already been having with some of the guides. Um, and yeah, um, there's such like a wealth of sort of research there, but also personal experiences and sort of personal relationships to sugar, which is what I was thinking about at the time. Um, so it started there and then, yeah, I found that I was sort of reworking or interspersing some of the words um, and sort of phrases that um, they'd sort of put forward with other things that I was sort of reading or coming across. Mm. Um, so some of those were, I was reading Christina Sharp's um, yeah. In the Wake and um, thinking about this sort of aftermath of slavery and what it means to live in the aftermath of slavery, which is sort of the idea of like the wake being the path left behind a ship. So thinking of the ship as maybe the slave ship, what it means to live in, in that wake. Um, and so there were sort of elements of um of her writing that sort of crept into the text that I was putting together um I did a sort of collaborative project um on an online uh project space mm -hmm. um and was paired up with another writer who was interested in sort of um William Morris's um writing around sort of homeware aesthetics and I wondered how that came in okay that's great yeah. yeah yeah so that was really interesting and like the idea of utility and mm -hmm. beauty and I at the time I'd been looking at these two sugar bowls in the V&A's collection mm. um that was sort of the starting point of the sweet swollen project and so like thinking about these objects with through that lens of like utility and beauty and what these uh, sort of perceptions, yeah, the perceptions surrounding the creation of these objects, which are quite offensive mm. um, to look at. Um, they're really highly caricatured um, sort of bowls, which are flanked by these sort of uh, figurines, um, which are meant to be depictions of um, individuals of African and Amer like uh, indigenous American heritage um, mm. and so really they're depicting um, enslaved labour um, and the product of that labour mm. sort of in one so I guess that was why I was really interested in them as objects at all 
is that mm-hmm. they they feel like a really concise um yeah summary almost or sort of test like they they almost testify to um to a history of exploitation in just in the object themselves um yeah and and I guess it just is was that the beginning of this well there's just two ways to go from that one is I, I was interested how the all these kind of um uh, points of restu- reference in terms of what you were reading and, and thinking mm-hmm. about history and looking back to look forward looking and, and mm-hmm. also the context of speaking with your contemporaries at um, on the tour you know the other tour guys and saying what is this about and what mm-hmm. how are we thinking and feeling about this but also that you've worked with family photographs so I just wondered about how you know is that something that's from that you used to do and now you don't do but how does your own personal that that own personal um those people I suppose within your own history does that how does that feed in and how does that autobiographical element become part of this um you know massive Mm. body of research and then complicated reworking of these objects Mm. I think yeah I started working with my own family photographs when I was studying Mm. and in a way it was sort of like a way in or it was working with what I had to hand and I had this real obsession with the photographs I was really drawn to them so many of the people within the images like some of them I recognized and some of them I really didn't so it was like this weird simultaneous um feeling like of familiarity and almost ownership as well but at the same time of being somehow removed um, and of wanting to sort of like uncover sort of layers of yeah of what had come before mm. um, and yeah I think it's something that uh, continues I guess in my work in some ways and something that's almost coming back around I within the Harry Jacobs um, body of work that kind of centres around um, a collection of photographs by um, late (coughs) South London photographer called Harry Jacobs who um, he was a Jewish man he was particularly um, popular with um, like members of the African sort of Caribbean uh, community uh, many of whom would have been like moving into South London Lambeth around that time so at 50s to the 90s particularly at the beginning of that period a lot of movement and settling Mm. and um yeah and so his his studio and the kind of collection of studio portraits have become almost like a social document of of people sort of depicting themselves in time and place against this really fake (laughs) um (laughs) quasi tropical garden backdrop um but I yeah I was really interested in those images and I've worked and sort of reworked with them um but I I live in my great aunt's house um and the other day I was sort of looking for some pots and pans or something in a in a cupboard that I'd never really go in and I found an album of photographs um and they had some of some really very similar like in the same I guess tradition of um studio portrait photography mm. um portraits of sort of um definitely some family members and maybe some others I I don't know um in Kingston Jamaica um with a very kind of uh similar domestic props as well like tables baskets of flowers and I think yeah all of these things sort of come round if that makes any sense there was that same like sense of familiarity um but yeah I guess something that also comes to mind I pulled up a bit of of text from the um from the written piece that I did for the care mm. oh, ja- journal um yeah. and I feel like this maybe has some relationship to that idea of familiarity Mm. um so this is the opening of that text Mm. so it says 
I want to think about attending to images, collections of images that simultaneously don't belong to you and yet do. Found photographs taken by others of others. Orphaned images that depict skin like your skin. Tentative groupings, fragile, difficult, raw, fugitive, demanding of a tender engagement, soft touch, slow looking, careful study. So yeah, I think there's there is something about that uh, dual, almost familiarity and also distance or separation. Mm, definitely. I mean, it's bringing me. Thank you for reading that. Um, and I would definitely recommend. Um, I'll try and find out if we can get a link to the text, but it is beautiful. Um, I don't know if that's possible, Holly. But um, I loved your description. Um, that this is referencing something much earlier but you described mm. um this you use this word shuddering mm. and um that in terms of putting two photographs together um so you say this is in your own words the photograph is no more than a still that if placed next to another photograph can begin to move so this idea of um like gifts you reference it in terms of gifts particularly mm. which is kind of funny and ironic because gifts are sort of these really flippant silly often mm. hilarious and ridiculous things but the way you use this method is it becomes like a shudder so you not only mm. a shudder being you physically sort of shudder and you're not sure why it's a bit spooky some things repeating on you some things like moving through your body and giving you a shudder but mm. shuddering in terms of the action um and I just wondered I love the use of that word and I feel like it's speaking to what you're your um yeah speaking to what you're saying really is that still relevant, that word? And do you think about that word? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I think about that word, but I think mm. it is still relevant. I think it's maybe like the potential of reanimation. Mm. Um, so it's like almost the in-between that sort of interests me, like the potential of those different routes it could almost take or, or go down. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely something of that that sort of remains within but I, I think often within a lot of my work it's quite almost not exactly cyclical but I come back to a lot of the same stuff repeatedly and almost <laughs> yeah. try and like attack it from different angles <laughs> mm. so um yeah like a printmaker I mean you're a printmaker yeah. maybe <laughs> that's what maybe that's what that is <laughs> yeah yeah no it probably is um yeah and at one point I think I remember thinking like surely I've like hashed this out enough like there can't be any more I can like wring from this but I think there's almost like an obsess an obsessive um yeah quality about how I sort of navigate um material mm. which is yeah quite it, yeah it's it's cyclical almost it like sort of returns to itself again and again yeah that's that's it's yeah it's definitely bringing me to the process of um printing in terms of I remember learning about etching and doing the first one you know the etching it's process it's you've got to be patient you put it in the acid bath and you keep returning mm. to it and digging in the deeper groove and mm. then you print from it again and you can make hundreds and hundreds of variations um, mm. and even come back to the same plates and rework mm -hmm. them so there's something really interesting about that, that I hadn't thought about before um, mm. but it's also making me think um about all these things you have this way and I've really found this of connecting things that I think um like in terms of I'm thinking more about um the work alongside the other things you have to kind of do in your life if you like <laughs> um yeah. like um uh, you know people you want to hang out with or music making or um, jobs that you have done or education and workshops that you run um, and, and making the work and how these things in, in, for you particularly feel like they sit alongside each other um, mm. in a way that isn't like I was even having to ask at the beginning so which are jobs and which are non-jobs you know <laughs> yeah. and I think that's a real skill it's so exciting um, and even to learn that you've you'd done a podcast and that the podcast is exploring the side hustle so it feels like <laughs> I'm just interested. So I guess a way to get into this might be to speak about um, this idea of the side hustle. So what is it? Mm. What's your interest in it? And what does that allude to for you? Mm. I guess as, yeah, <laughs> as as an artist, there's often 
this tension between sort of what you your practice what you do and all, and how you make money like can you make money from your practice um can you do that without like compromising the practice or do you have to like separate things out do you need a side job that actually brings in an income and puts food on your table and then you can practice next to that or like in the gaps between that so yeah I'm I'm always yeah I think I guess I've yeah I've always been interested in that as long as I've been making work because it's a very real practical consideration for me and all of my friends and peers um but yeah I guess I guess like thinking about the different like lines of work outside of directly the studio that I've had I think I've been quite fortunate in that lots of lots of them have aligned in some way um in a way that I've found really useful so not all of them have fed my work Mm. my sort of artwork directly but um but some of them have and and I also I think there's also real value in having space away from the studio yeah so like so also within I guess like a side hustle or not really <laughs> maybe art is side, I'm not sure what the side hustle is but um I like that. Within, <laughs> within a day job that is maybe not directly related to your studio practice in a direct way mm. um I think I've really benefited from just having the downtime mentally from the studio so that you're not necessarily directly trying to think and like work out problems Mm. um but that those that problem solving is still sort of happening in a sort of latent way at the back of your brain maybe subconsciously and I found that really useful because I think I actually do think that if I spent 24 7 in the studio um you know obviously it varies like when you know when you have a deadline that that's like the go 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 but all the time I think I'd really struggle because there's times when you're like looking at a problem that you're trying to fix and you just cannot get to you can't get the answer (laughs) and you almost need the time away for things to fall into place so I think sometimes that can be quite useful um and I think in terms of the time away it's also interesting um the, the projects you've chosen to spend time with so like the Jerwood projects or Jerwood uh, visual arts as it's now called um turf projects in Croydon and then Cypher Billboard which is a project that you set up is it with two other artists yeah yeah, yeah. so I think it's also interesting to think about where you align yourself um and we may have uh, links to those and thinking about that that kind of what you allow time for I suppose I was really interested to I had no idea you'd made a podcast um so I was really excited <laughs> to hear about that podcast and also what it was um which we'll talk about and mm. um and kind of the role you have within these groups that you were kind of discussing with so <laughs> I just wondered if you could talk a bit more it sounds very abstract um could you talk a bit more about the podcast um um, yeah like you know what, how it was born out of because it was it was done under luck under this period right under lockdown yeah, yeah absolutely so um so it was an invitation from taco um uh which is based in thamesmead mm-hmm. um so thamesmead arts and culture office is sort of what that stands for loosely but though they've changed it according to like different uh, shows that they've had different projects they've had um so one of the so the very first project actually that they did um with artist sam skinner was to set up or to re- almost to revive a previous um community radio station called uh rtm radio thamesmead mm-hmm. um and yeah and uh, the sort of legacy of that project um which happened, I don't know, maybe a bit over a year ago now, um, is that Radio Thamesmead, they've now kind of set up as an ongoing online community radio station, which is, yeah, community sort of led and run. Um, and, yeah, and so mm. Taco have a sort of slot that where they invite different artists to put together um, a programme that's an hour long. Um, and 
so Matt, um, Jenna, uh, who runs Taco, invited me to put, to do something, and it was a really open brief, which I really liked. Um, so you know, it didn't have to be an artwork. Um, it could be a playlist, or you know, it could be anything. And that was really exciting because I have previously worked in audio quite a bit. Um, I wonder because it's very professional. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just made using GarageBand, so. (laughs) But but, um, yeah, I've worked in audio quite a bit in a similar way to a similar approach to like lots of my other work in that it's very collage based and often sort of working with like found text or found um yeah found existing archival audio sometimes um yeah and but this was an opportunity to do something a bit different um and yeah as you say it was in lockdown um one of the things that I do for fun um and for the love of it outside of lockdown is that I play in a band um and it's a funk soul cover band um and we do a lot of like weddings and 60th birthday parties and we also just have a lot of fun (laughs) and quite a lot of the people in it are friends who I met at uni and we were in a band together then and some of us were in a different band at a later (laughs) point so there's all of these different sort of like yeah um music making histories um but yeah sorry go on no I was just gonna say which is interesting because funk is like a bit of a weird music making history like it's a mixture of jazz r&b soul and african grooves like that was my understanding so the idea of like it, it itself being a bit of a collage of musical history is interesting yeah definitely um i think our approach like we're very with with the band um it feels it's quite like straight up like we just we seldom change things that much (laughs) or like put our own flavor onto it which is a bit different to like the previous band that many of us were also in Mm. um but it's just really enjoyable and I think that was a really big thing that I was missing over this period of separation was that we had you know we had rehearsals in a diary and we couldn't just hang out and play music together and so this felt like a really nice way of connecting um and yeah and of thinking about like the things that you do maybe for the love of it on the side that you don't get paid that much for um and yeah and I think also everyone within the band is so creative and doing so many various projects of their own it felt like a really nice opportunity to sort of like center some of the other things that people are doing mm-hmm. um, so it's yeah. also called it's also called don't freak out right yeah now, which yeah. seems so like p- perfect for this <laughs> um, I, I really do recommend listening to it it has um like brilliant almost like field recordings and I think as a podcast it uses that forum that medium like so well this me or this medium but it has um snippets of the band and different discussions about podcasts and what that is and how they work and interviews with other band members and I think it is it's really interesting it was a brilliant episode I kind of wish there were more I was like oh what do you mean there was one (laughs) um so that's so good um such a joy to make it was yeah it felt like it it really felt like it um that's amazing well I'm gonna have to um end I'm afraid with but by asking you or first thanking you thanks so much um (laughs) that was really uh, exciting and took us all over the place um uh, and we should have ended on a bit of jazz. Maybe I'll get a little recording from you and we can end on a bit of music. Yeah, <laughs> that would be lovely. With an ad. If anyone wants a wedding band, um, <laughs> they're really fun. Yeah. I think they're brilliant. I think you, you guys are great. Um, so um, I always end by asking two questions and they might feel um, like they're, they're being something different because of this transition element as well. Um, so uh, they might be more present tense. So... Um, Anything that's being helped that is helpful to you I, it, during this period and now as we come out of it? Mm. I think <coughs> it's quite a soppy answer, but my housemates oh. have been really helpful. Oh, I love um, yeah, I feel really fortunate to mm. live with other people who I really like. Mm. Um, and yeah, and it's, 
you know I think living with other people always has its challenges um and those can be really heightened by being locked down (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) but mainly it's just been really wonderful um and my sister's like I live with my sister my cousin and another friend and my sister had us on a sort of quarantine schedule with like weekly aims like what would you like to like achieve for yourself or get out of this week which could be as simple as like I want to go on more walks I want to like have a regular sleep routine it's just been really helpful in terms of like staying grounded at a time which is quite unsettling Mm. so yeah I think that's been do you think you're gonna be able to keep that up like is that something because I think that sounds gorgeous like is that something that existed I mean obviously it didn't exist before but would you maintain that I think it I think it it would be really nice to maintain a level of it and because yeah. we've been having like weekly house meetings which we were definitely not having before <laughs> where we just like check in make sure everyone's all right like catch up on anything that we might have missed um that's going on and amazing when we initially started that I sort of I think I suggested it <laughs> but when I said it I didn't really I thought nobody's gonna want to do that because <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like oh my god house yeah. like it just automatically feels like you're going to talk about something that who's not put the loose seat down that week or I don't know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah but actually like everyone was like yeah that's a really good idea and then I think it has been really useful it's just been like a good forum for like making sure everyone's all right Mm. um which I think you can sometimes you can sort of take for granted particularly if you're living with like a few people yeah um but yeah I think gorgeous idea like checking in again it takes on care right that idea of checking in kind of formally giving space to to people um that's so nice um yeah what an amazing idea I'm just thinking to myself how could I do that in in my life that's (laughs) lovely um And then I just wondered anything that you've learned about yourself um, or maybe that's something that's developing now that kind of look, because we can look back a little bit, even though we're very in it. Mm. Um, maybe it's something that's, that's emerging, but what have you, have you learned something about yourself? Yeah, I don't know. I think for some, like it shouldn't be surprising because it is very obvious, but I think, I was somehow quite surprised by like how much of a toll it takes on me but also mm-hmm. on on everyone clearly um being separated from people mm-hmm. um that it's such a sort of yeah it, it really is a, a strange emotional toll and it really uh sort of made me more heightenedly aware of what like social creatures we are mm-hmm. um which seems really, really obvious, but is not isn't something yeah, not necessarily yeah. much previously. Like I, I do quite like spending time on my own as well, and yeah, I just, I think it is. Yeah, it's that's what's like hit home the most is that I need people. Oh, um, so. <laughs> amazing! Um, well, thanks so much for sharing that. That was really exciting, and. Um, yeah I'd love you to end on that note we need people Yay. yeah um so thanks so much Holly Holly Graham and if we want more of your work can we just your website um is that the best place to find it yeah it probably is so it's just hollygraham.co.uk or Instagram which I tend to update yeah. with bits that are coming up and stuff um, and I'll put a link to that and we'll put a link to some of the the galleries we've mentioned and and maybe the sundial project I'd love to see an image yeah hopefully have an image of that I've promised so much on this (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we can deliver Um, amazing well thank you so much yeah thank you Emma it's been great to talk all right all right speak soon bye-bye as a Brucey bonus this episode features the band that Holly is in and mentions in this episode don't freak out very aptly named right now This track is called Jealous Guy, featuring Natasha Heliotis on lead vocals. Enjoy.
the past. 